You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Well, we started a new series. We're talking about growing up. I had someone tell me this morning, you need to grow up. I said, yeah, yeah, I do. We all do. So we're, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, kind of as a launching point. It's where we've got a core text for this series, and then we're going to move around a little bit. But I'll go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'll review a little bit. I'm not going to try and cover everything again, but we've looked at this passage. This whole passage is talking about growing up. It's talking about developing and maturing on the inside in our spirit man. Now, I have pointed out that word perfect already. I don't need to go real deep, but I'll remind you that that word perfect, when he says we're becoming a perfect man, it does not mean flawless. It means mature, uh, fully developed. And I point that out because some people will read that passage and they'll say, coming to a perfect man. <laughs> That's not me. I'll never be perfect in this life, you know. And then, and thinking it means flawless, they just kind of dismiss the passage. And when they read it, they're just, they're reading over it thinking, well, yeah, it says that, but boy, I can't be talking about me. Why? Ain't nobody perfect. Well, that doesn't mean flawless. So that's why I point that out. It means mature. Now, if you grew up in circles like I did, most of the preachers I listened to for the last many decades as I've been growing up, they all preached out of the King James. Now, I don't necessarily do that. Um, I tend to go New King James because it still has a lot of similarity and flavor to what I heard so much growing up with a little less of the these and thous, not quite so Elizabethan, at least a little more today, but with still a lot of the same um, rhythm and poetry of the King James. But in the original King James, then to add insult to injury, back there in verse 12, the original King James says, for the perfecting of the saints. Same deal. Some people go, well, there it is again, and I'll just never be perfect. And so I, they just, it glosses over. Well, I'll point out that King James wasn't wrong. Same situation. It's not in the sense, that word's not being used in the sense of perfect. You'll notice perfecting is a verb. It's actually a transitive verb. And so it's not perfect, it's perfect. If you put your emphasis on a different syllable, it sounds different, right? It's perfect. All right. So the, the transitive verb perfect means to bring to final form. That's actually perfectly accurate. That is what they're trying to say. King James was not wrong. We get perfect stuck in our heads sometimes. Um, that word perfect, or uh, New King James says equipping, it comes from the Greek word, and here we go. I'm trying not to slaughter these. Um, katartismos. Actually, the the emphasis is on the last syllable, so it's katartismos. <laughs> I don't know. It means to make fully ready. And the interesting little thing that I had to have the Greek scholars explain, because 
I'm not. Um, there are actually two different words that are very similar. The other one is cartesis. Nope, wrong. it's catharsis. Anyway, it's another word, very similar, <laughs> with an emphasis on a different syllable. But the two words, the one that was not there, is the process of making ready, but it's still being done. It's still in progress. The word the Apostle Paul used is the process as being completed. The idea being, even by the choice of the word he used, not only are we in the process of being perfected or brought to an end, um, he used the end of the line sense, the implication being it happens in this life. It's totally attainable. It's not just something that happens someday in the sweet by and by. No, he expects us to reach this point in this life, this point of being made ready. Um, so you could kind of read it that way. Um, the ministry gifts were given to bring the saints to the final form for the work of the ministry. And so there is an achieving of this in this life that does what? It improves the work of the ministry because the more to that final form we are, the better quality our work or contribution is to the work of the ministry. So that's what's going on here. This is something he expects us to do in this life. Now again, he doesn't expect us to be perfect in this life. In fact, let's clarify something. He's not telling you that your body will be brought to final form or full form in this life. We all know that's not happening. Why? This body's made of flesh. Everything in this earth is flawed. No exceptions. Why? Because this entire earth and everything in it is living under a curse. I think we talked about this. Peter says the whole thing's going to go up in fervent heat and there'll be nothing left. Everything in this natural realm, in this earth, is flawed. There is no perfection and, and there's not an expectation that we're going to get this flesh made perfect. You get the revelation of that piece. That's, that's relief. <laughs> Relieving. Oh, praise God because, boy, this flesh I'm running around in has its issues. You understand? No, that's not what this verse is talking about. It's the spirit man on the inside that we are developing to look like Jesus and we can bring to a place where our work of the ministry is very effective and very productive in this life. And it's not just a good idea. You know, if you got some extra time and nothing to do, maybe work on growing up a little bit. No, no, no. No, so scripture words this in a way that it's expected. This is his plan for all of us. Um, I don't know where I'm at in my notes. I'm all over the place. I want to go to First John, but let's not do it yet. I better stick with my notes. Let me say it this way. Um, we don't wait to be fully formed or to come to that full form to produce our work of the ministry. I think of it this way. Um, I like to think you would probably like to think if I were to compare my contribution to the work of the ministry, maybe compare it to a painting. I would love to think that my painting is a Mona Lisa, that my contribution to the ministry in the kingdom is just beautiful artwork that makes everybody stand back and just think, wow, how beautiful. Now, you know what the reality is? My Mona Lisa has a lot of stick figures in it. 
I don't do Mona Lisa's and I don't do drawing to that level. I might, I have probably more than one daughter that can run circles around me when it comes to that. All right. But does that stop me from drawing? Do I just say, well, then I'm just not going to do any work of the ministry until I'm producing this huge high caliber stuff? No. As a parent, if your child is not producing Mona Lisa, but they're producing some stick figures, do you berate them? No, you're like, hey, that's beautiful. Way to go, kiddo or son or daughter, whatever you call your kid. I don't, I don't call mine kiddo. I don't know where that came from. But whatever your term of endearment is, you, you say that's wonderful. Good job. And, and you, it, they'll get better over time, but you encourage them where they are. Do you think our father treats us any less? We give it the best effort we can and we produce the work and he's pleased with that. And then we keep working at it and we get better and he continues to be pleased. But all along the way, from stick figure to Mona Lisa, we're working at it. He's pleased. We keep working. He's pleased. It's when we're not working that I think he gets displeased. But that's kind of relieving in a sense. Anyway, go back to verse 13. I'm almost done with this part of it. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, do a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I keep telling you, this whole passage is just overflowing with maturity, right? Well, guess what? The word stature also. Um, now, that's not a wrong translation. It's the word stature. It's the Greek word helikia, if I'm saying that one right. Guess what that means? Maturity. You look it up in your Bible dictionary, that word means maturity. This whole passage is talking about growing up. So many words in here mean that. I'll throw in just for giggles, it's not just a New Testament idea, this idea of growing up in perfection or being perfected. Probably better say it that way. That's all through the Old Testament too. I'll give you one quick example and we'll move on. Second Chronicles 16.9, a verse familiar with many of us. Um, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now, again, not the idea of flawless. In this verse, and with this Hebrew word, that word means full, complete, peaceful, safe, whole, undivided, wholehearted. So he's looking for a person whose heart is, can you say, wholehearted toward him. That's what he's looking for. So this is a consistent idea. Now let me go back to verse 14 then. Still in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that we should no longer be children. With this comparison we're using of physical development versus spiritual development, there's a lot of um, similarities, a lot of comparisons. And one of the ways we do is this idea, what do children do as they grow? They want to be measured. Uh, I'll tell you partly what I'm thinking, and may, maybe, maybe, maybe many of you have done this, but I'm thinking of Amy's house because I remember in your house there's this like a huge yardstick screwed to the wall. Okay, and then as the boys were growing, I'm probably on birthdays. I'm guessing they back up to the yardstick, and what are they saying? Measure me. Measure me. And they'd stick on there and make a mark and write their name and the date. And then maybe a year would pass and they'd back up there again. Now, what are they looking for? What's the first thing they want to compare their new mark to 
their old mark. What are they looking to see? How much have I grown? In a sense, we do that. We should have a way in our own walk with Him, some way that's tangible enough you can measure. And then you have a way of tracking. And maybe there's in your love walk and how you deal with interesting situations or challenging people or something where maybe you go through a time when you walk in love with someone and then you think, hey, I did better this time. But you're measuring your growth in your love walk. And I handled it better. In a sense, you're backing up to that yardstick going, how did I do this time? Hey, look, I've grown. And that's one of the first ways we measure our own growth, just like a child would with the, I want to call it a yardstick, but it was more than three feet. <laughs> so, But at any rate, we measure ourselves. Now, what's the second thing, though? We don't just measure ourselves to ourselves, although we don't measure ourselves to other people. It's okay to measure ourselves so we can track progress. Ultimately, who do we measure ourselves against? Against Jesus. And so, okay, here's where I'm trying to get to. Am I closer to him? His mark is up here somewhere, and my mark's down here. Praise God, it's not an actual natural height contest. (laughs) I never got there. But anyway, I can get there in my spirit, man. Because my natural man is flawed. (laughs) No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Anyway. Nothing wrong with short people. (laughs) Just saying. Here's my 1 John 2.6, my 1 John verse. He who says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He is the standard. He is the mark that we're measured by. And if we say we abide in him, we should walk just as he walked. And that's good news. So, I've spent a lot of time now, that's kind of a review, we've talked about most of that, and I've been kind of setting the stage for the need to grow. Now what I want to shift to for the balance of this morning, and probably for the next couple messages, we'll see, I want to begin to talk a little bit about the how. How do I grow? What do I need to do then to begin to grow and develop in my spirit on the inside? Okay, back to Ephesians 4, verse 14, one more time. Well, I shouldn't say it that way. Once again, (laughs) that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So in this passage, which is all about growing up, he lays out what I believe is the first step to beginning to grow up on the inside. And it was right there in the verse. Speaking the truth in love. Step one to growing up is speaking the truth in love. It's speaking, if I can simplify. It's interesting because in this passage, in verse 14, he says we should no longer be children. And we get a pretty good idea of what he's talking about. But once again, if we all spoke Greek, (laughs) in the Greek there's, I believe, five different words that we would translate children. But it's five different stages of children. The Greek is more accurate than the English. The word here is the Greek word nepios, or might be napios. But it's a specific child. By definition, it's a child who cannot speak. It would be an infant or a 
baby. But the, the deciding and unique characteristic of this kind of child that we are to no longer be is a child who can't speak. And then he tells us the first step to beginning to grow up. Speak. Well, it's pretty much the same even in the natural. When a baby is born, I'm not saying they don't make noise. When one of my daughters came out, the nurse said, wow, that's the loudest cry I've ever heard. And I thought, here we go. (laughs) She was not wrong. But... They're not speaking, right? And we spend the first, not, not the first few months, but there's a period of time there where you're hinging, what, what do we, it's that contest between mom and dad where you sneak the kid off and you, I'm, say, daddy? Daddy? And then mom's going the other way, go, mama? Or whatever, however, you know, trying to get her to say your name first, you know. But there's that whole season of they're not speaking yet, but a part of growth and development is when they begin to speak. And I believe it's even one of my daughters that two of them really quick and one of them took a while. Just didn't have anything to say. Spoke eventually. But if, if you start getting to four, five, six, seven years old and they're still not talking, what's that tell you? We've got a problem. Something we need to look into. What? Speaking is a sign of, of growth. It's the power of speech. Let me, let me give you a little more scripture behind it. First a fun one, then a simple one. Um, Genesis 2, 7, um, familiar verse. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Do you see it? No. Um, The original language for our Old Testament is Hebrew. That would be the sacred language to the Jews. And for the first many, 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 many years, the only language that the Old Testament scriptures were written in was Hebrew. That was the sacred language. It wasn't until the Babylonian captivity when they begin to think, "Mm, we got a problem. Because they were in Babylon long enough that generations of Jews were being born who were shifting to the language of the region. And the primary language at that time was Aramaic. And so there were Jews growing up that were pretty much living in Aramaic. Hebrew became a second language to them. I, I would find, I would be hard to believe they didn't learn it at all. It's possible. But it was enough of an issue that the leaders of the Jewish nation decided we better translate our scriptures into Aramaic. And it was the first time they'd ever done anything other than Hebrew. So I go to all that trouble to say um, that piece of work is called the Targum Onkelos. Um, I've heard it suggested the lead translator was a guy named Onkelos. Some people dispute that. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, but the work is called Targum Onkelos. And the verse we just read, here's how they translated it. And the Lord God created man dirt from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils a living soul, and it was for a speaking spirit in man. That's how they translated it. God's original design in you is not just to put a spirit in you. It's a speaking spirit. Our Heavenly Father does not speak just for casual. He speaks to get things done. He speaks words on purpose to accomplish things. And we're being made and fashioned into the image and likeness of Him. 
there's reasons we speak what we speak or don't speak what we don't speak. I took the scenic route. Here's a really quick and to the point route. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. Whose tongue? Your tongue. Everyone's tongue. I said, what is that? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is unscriptural. It is not true. There are kids who carried baggage well into their adult life from words spoken to them when they were children. I don't want to go down that path, but don't tell me words don't have power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So for us as speaking spirits, it's more than just putting a filter on your mouth and not saying the wrong things or the bad things. But there's a whole lot of times where we need to speak the right things on purpose, with purpose. Speaking life into people, speaking God's life and God's power into situations and circumstances. I was thinking this morning, there are times you need to speak some death into things. Really? I got some bad habits I need to speak some death into. There are some things that I need to curse that need to not be in my life. Does that make sense? But a part of growing up, we begin to speak the right things. We get, begin to speak purposeful things. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 13.11. The Apostle Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he says, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. So then how will you know when you're beginning to grow up? Your speech changes. Uh, your understanding changes. Your thinking changes. And isn't it interesting? Once again, he began that list with speech. The first thing to change as you start to grow up, speech changes. Both what you say on purpose and what you don't say. <laughs> Mouth comes before mind. Some people would, would think it's the other way around. You think, well, now, if I can just get my mind renewed to the Word of God, then my mouth will change. Scripture puts it the other way. Scripture says change your mouth first. Your mind will follow. Um, well, he put it in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, then you'll grow up. But go to Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your... He puts mouth first. Then where does he go? but you shall meditate in it day and night. Then you may observe to do all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. I love this verse, but it's got like four steps in this verse. What's step one? Mouth. You put his words in your mouth. Then step two, work on your mind. Then what's step three? When you got your mouth saying the right things and your mind begins to think right, then you'll start doing the right things. Actions will actually follow. But don't forget the fourth step. Then what happens? Good success. Things start working right for you. You start producing fruit. Where do you make your way prosperous? I like the sound of that. But where does it all start? With your mouth. Step one. Speak the right words. It's key. So as I put away childish things, I'm going to quit speaking like a child. 
start speaking the God things, the grown-up things. I quit thinking like a child. or I quit understanding like a child. I quit thinking like a child. So along those lines then, if Scripture is actually putting words ahead of mind, there's an interesting concept then. Um, do you remember in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, and I'm going back to King James because it's most familiar to what I grew up with, but put that on the screen, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I've said this before, I think even in this series, we don't let our mind just think everything it wants to think. I don't entertain just every thought that pops into my head. Now, I haven't said this, and I'll be sure to say this, I'm not responsible for what thoughts pop into my head. I get some crazy thoughts sometimes. And sometimes I have help from the enemy of my soul putting thoughts in my head hoping that I'll entertain them. I'm not responsible for the thoughts that pop into my head. I am responsible what I do with them. What he say to do? Cast down those imaginations that are contrary to godly thinking. Um, bring every thought into captivity. Or you could say it this way. Arrest the wrong thoughts. Don't let your mind think about them. Don't meditate on the wrong things. I, I, who knows why they came? But I choose whether or not I think about them. So a part of growing up is, okay, I'm not going to think the wrong thoughts. I'm going to cast down those wrong things that are contrary to what I know is right. But now the question, how? How do you do that? How do you cast down those wrong thoughts? Well, I'm going to go back to what we were just saying with your mouth. Can I show you a verse? Don't laugh. I'm building something here. <laughs> Matthew 6.31, what did Jesus say? Therefore, take no thought saying. We'll stop there. How do you take a thought? Say something. Now, he was making a different point, but do you see what he said? He says, don't take the thought by saying blah, 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 blah. How do you take a thought? With your mouth. How do you cast down that thought? How do you arrest it? with your mouth speak to it I speak to my thoughts I say no I'll not think that crazy thought <laughs> sometimes it's a crazy thought and I speak to it no I'll not think you well, I arrest it by speaking or I take the thought by speaking to it what, what, what do you think in, what, could you say some things instead sometimes I'll have thoughts that are contrary thoughts that are degrading or whatnot. And I'll speak the right things over. And I say, no, I'll not think that thought. No, I'll not take that. And I'll start speaking the word. I don't know what your example may be, but I'll say, maybe the thoughts tell me I can't do something that I know I need to do. So I will say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he who is in me than he that's in this world. Amen. Now, I have an, an alternate version of that verse that I have to freely admit. I made it up myself. I do believe it to be scriptural, but it comes from that other Phillips translation. Not the J.B. Phillips, it's the B.E. Phillips translation. But I say this to myself often. I'll say, 
Greater is he who is in me than this fallen flesh I'm walking around in. And I mean that both ways. Greater is my spirit in me than this flesh I'm living in. Greater is the Holy Spirit in me than my flesh I'm walking around in. My flesh has weird desires sometimes. Yeah, a lot of it's cheesecake, but my flesh has weird desires sometimes. Sometimes just unhealthy desires, sometimes wrong desires. I talk to my flesh. How do you rest? Speak. I tell my flesh, no, you get under. What did Paul say? He said, I keep my body under. I'm thinking of a verse I'm trying to quote off the cuff. I discipline my flesh and I keep my body under. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself would be disqualified. So I speak to my body. No, you don't. Greater is he who's in me than you, this flesh I'm walking around in. You take authority, but you do it with your mouth. You think, I don't know, are you telling me to speak to myself? Yes! Sometimes those are the best conversations, right? So no, number one step of growing up, use your mouth. Begin to speak the right things. Speak to your mind. Speak to your body. Speak to your circumstances. Speak the right words. Speaking the truth in love. And what is the truth? What God says about it. The truth is, He really is greater in me than anything that's going on out here. Amen? So there's the first piece. Now let me add the second piece, and they very much go together, but let me add part two. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says, Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Once again, mouth comes in on the front side of this, doesn't it? Get rid of the evil speaking, the wrong speaking, the bad speaking. But then what's he say? Verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious or the Lord is good. So what's the second thing we need? Food or milk in this case. And the parallel, once again, is the same. We talked about this when a baby's first born. It's usually not hours. It's minutes before they start feeding. They want to see ounces coming on. They start giving that infant milk. Well, the parallel is complete. When we first get born again and we have a new spirit man on the inside, like they're talking about in Sunday school today, what do we need? We need that bottle real quick. We need the milk of the word. Coming into us, it is nutrition for our spirit man. Why? So that we may grow thereby. What do we need? What is the milk of the word? It's God's word. It's what you're putting in your mouth. You see, the two points are the same. So when the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love, we are to speak his word in love. We are to speak his word, and we are to consume his word. We're to eat his word. You could say it this way, reading God's Word, hearing God's Word, feeds your spirit. Speaking God's Word exercises your spirit. And it takes both. Food and activity. Now, he did specify um, that we're to speak the truth, so it's not just anybody's words. It's God's words. It's true words. Good words. Can I say 
anointed words. Anointed words coming out of your mouth will do wonderful things. It's one of the reasons, if you've noticed around here, I'm not saying I completely avoid these things, but I don't spend a whole lot of time giving you all of my opinions on everything. I have them. I try to point out if something is just my opinion, but I don't spend a lot of time going there. I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about politics. We do need to be aware. We have a responsibility. We need to be aware of what's going on, and we need to be on our knees in our prayer closets talking to God about those things. But I don't spend a whole lot of my message time preaching politics. I don't spend a whole lot of time just telling you neat little funny stories that give you warm fuzzies. Now, I do all those things occasionally. I tell warm fuzzy stories from time to time. I mention politics from time to time. I give my opinion from time to time. But I don't ever put the emphasis on those. Why? They don't help you much. God's Word helps you, feeds you, gives you nourishment. In, in, in some cases, gives you direction, gives you answers. It's His Word that you need far more than anything I could say. You go home today hearing one word from Him. That's better than an hour of me going on and on. What You need to hear from Him. His Word has the power to change your life forever. So that's where we try to put the emphasis. I want to put the, and this morning we're doing good based on the number of slides we have up there. But we want to see his words. Um, Job 23, 12. I want to point out that this is all through scripture. He says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He's putting value on God's word. Uh, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, He said, your words were found and I ate them. I like that. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He says, I heard God's words. I ate them. That's consistent in scripture. Did you know that as you grow and develop, you even develop a taste for good food. As you're hearing words, you begin to tell, oh, that's good food, or that's not as good food. You actually begin to discern between the good and bad food. You have, can I say, spiritual taste buds, although you'll have to bear with me, they're in an odd place. Your spiritual taste buds are not on your spiritual tongue. They're on your spiritual ear. I don't know why that is, but I got scripture. Let me show you. Job 34, verse 3. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Uh, the New Living Translation says the ear tests the words it hears just as the mouth distinguishes between foods. But your spirit man will develop a taste for spiritual food and you'll begin to recognize, oh, this is good. This is feeding me. Oh, this is going to be good for me. Or maybe this isn't as good. You you begin to discern. And sometimes you'll begin to discern the things that are good for you, even if on face value you might think, oh, I don't like this. Maybe this is the spiritual equivalent to vegetables. (laughs) I I don't know. Because so many times with vegetables, it's not always the thing you really, really wanted, but you know what's good for you, right? Although there are times I crave vegetables. As I get older, more and more I crave vegetables. 
Um, I, I won't go down that path, but I do. I, I sometimes start going out of my way just to get a vegetable on my plate instead of that battered fried something, you know. But you begin to crave it. Um, where I'm going with this, sometimes God's Word isn't just feel good, hallelujah, glory, glory. Sometimes He's bringing correction to you. But you'll get to a place where you recognize, oh, He's correcting me, but this is good for me. This is good food. And you begin to value even the correction of the Lord. Now I'll point out, correction comes when we weren't listening to direction. He will always lead you with direction. And if you're really good at hearing His lead and following His direction, you don't get a lot of correction. It's minimized. The correction comes more often when we're not paying attention to the direction. Maybe we weren't listening. Or maybe we didn't like what we heard and we wanted to do it our way. I'm going to do this the way I want to do that. Well, I guess what's probably coming for you? Correction. But we come to a place where even the words of correction we begin to cherish and value because we know this is good for me. Uh, Job 5.17 says, Behold, happy is the man whom God, God corrects. Therefore, do not despise or place low value on the chastening of the Almighty. What's the implication? Place high value on the chastening. Be happy when God corrects you. Why? You know it's for your own good. You're going to benefit from this greatly. Value His correction. You could also translate that as honor His correction. When he corrects you. Uh, Psalm 94.12, I'm reading this one out of the Amplified Translation. says, blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied is the man whom you discipline and instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. A lot of times when you're reading the word, he'll bring correction right out of his word. And if you're smart, what do you say? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for correcting me in that. I need to make a change. I need to make an adjustment. But you recognize this will be good for me. I need to do this. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father of the son in whom he delights. One thing you'll always know when he's correcting you, first thing you know, he loves me. Always remember, He corrects me because He loves me. He wants me to get it right. He wants me to produce the right things. He wants to bless me even more. So He's correcting me to get me back into alignment with what He wants out of me. Uh, same type of idea in Hebrews 12.9. says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, our Father God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So as we grow, we even begin to value when he corrects us and disciplines and chastens us because we know, oh, this is good. This is good for me. Now let me add one more piece to this. Um... When we eat good, natural, healthy food, good, healthy, natural food, not only is there vitamin nutrition, but it gives us strength. It's when you're lacking the healthy food, you begin to lose strength. So one of the things we draw from 
from the right kind of food is strength. Well, is there a spiritual component? I want to throw this in, Nehemiah 8.10. Um, I'm not going to read that whole thing. I'm jumping down to the end. <laughs> I just want to read the very end. He says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So where's one place that the Bible tells us that your spiritual strength comes from? The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay. Where do we get the joy? Now, I will point out that joy is, I think, number two on the list of the fruit of the Spirit. That You've got joy on the inside of you, even if it's in seed form, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. But uh, I want to go to Psalm 1611. It says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. So if the joy of the Lord is our strength, where do I get more joy of the Lord? In His presence. Uh, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can I make a bold statement? Someone who's not full of joy all the time is someone who's not spending all their time in the presence of Jesus. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. Is your joy a little lacking? Spend some extra time in His presence. Are you dealing with depression and related issues? Spend some more time in His presence. Because He said, in your presence is fullness of joy. Just give you a Bible answer. All the psychologists are probably going to line up to argue with me. But that's what the Bible says. Just spend more time with Him. He rubs off. And His joy will get on you. So that's why we do this. Um, Matthew 4.4, 4, familiar verse. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the value of His Word to us. We live by it. Just as bread is food for your natural man, the Word of God is food for our spirit man. Um, the teacher in me I did actually dig. I wanted to know when he says we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that is the Greek word rhema, which specifically means spoken word. Many times the very thing you need to give you the strength to get through something you're dealing with or something you're trying to get through or an answer to a problem you're seeking is that rhema word of God where he speaks to your heart by his Holy Spirit and you get the very thing you need. So I understand that and I'll stand by that. But I will broaden it in this application. What is your Bible? A written record of a whole bunch of rhemas of God. And those words still have power too. Every word in that Bible is food for your spirit. I'm going to say it. Even the begats. Even those names that I still don't know how to pronounce. But what? Every word in there is inspired by God. There was 40-some authors over several thousand years, but all of them inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And every word in there. Uh, what? I'm not going to be able to quote it. I didn't look it up. But Paul said every word in there is, is profitable for instruction, for doctrine, for righteousness. That verse, I think he was talking to Timothy. Every word in there. So when I sit down to read the Bible, 
Read it by faith. What do I mean by that? I recognize, Lord, you tell me that this word is food for my spirit. It's so many things, but it is nutrition and strength for my spirit, man. So before I read, every time when I get, sit down to read devotions, I will first consciously, I will either pray or even sometimes just speaking to myself, but I will say, everything I'm about to read is food for my spirit. Sometimes when you read through that passage of the begats, or let's be honest, when you're trudging your way through the law of Moses in Leviticus, and he's laying out, and the temple will be this wide and this tall, and you're going to make... Oh, I get it. I get it. And then there's, there is stuff, great value you can learn there if you really study it. But sometimes, when you just got up in the morning, <laughs> that's not really what you were excited to read. I get it. But even in those passages, I will say, Lord, this is food for my spirit. And even if my mind isn't just shouting with new revelation of verses I've never seen before, that's okay. My spirit's being fed. And my spirit is seeing something that I probably didn't see before. That's what I mean by read it by faith. But when I go into a, a Bible reading time, I will say, I'm getting fed. I'm agreeing with what the Word says. I'm activating my own faith. And if I receive nothing else, I'll be stronger in my spirit. Now, I don't pray it quite that way. I also pray, now, Lord, let my mind see something. Let my mind get a revelation of something I've not seen. Let something jump off the page at me. Speak to my heart. Plant seeds of your word in the garden of my heart. They're going to grow and produce fruit. Sometimes those seeds get in my heart and my mind figures out what's going on later. But sometimes my mind is quick to catch on. But in every time, I'm feeding my spirit. And I I latch onto that by faith and say, I'm going to receive every time I read. Even the begats. You get my point. All right. God's word is food for us. Every word. So what do you do then? You learn to respect it. You receive by faith and you value. You, you respect the word. You honor the word. Can I say this? And I'm not aimed at anybody in particular. I didn't do a poll. I didn't ask for a show of hands. Nothing we've talked about so far will do you any good if you never read your Bible. Oh, the importance. I know we, we live in an age where the church has largely moved away from the spiritual disciplines and so many of the things that traditional denominations did that were not necessarily wrong or bad. I think sometimes we go from ditch to ditch. We get too far one way, so we we have to correct that wrong, and we go clear over to a ditch on the other side of the road. Your spiritual disciplines were not all bad. It's important that you read your Bible every day. It's important that you pray every day. It's important that you worship Him every day. Every day. It's important that you fast on a regular basis. (laughs) I didn't want to say every day. That's between you and the Holy Ghost. But it is important that you fast. All of those spiritual disciplines have value. And they are worth keeping. We need to go back and remind ourselves of some of those books the old timers wrote about discipline. Okay, so as I close, I'm going to wrap this up for this morning. You're going to love this. This week's message comes with homework. 
<laughs> Couple heads. What? <laughs> you have homework this week. Me too. I set a reminder on my phone. I told Siri. I said, now, Monday morning, and I picked a time. I said, you remind me of what I'm about to assign to all of us. It's a reading assignment. Now, you can spread it out over the whole week. You don't have to do this in one city and if you don't want to. But what is the longest chapter in the entire Bible? Does anyone know? That's our reading assignment this week. Read Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. So I'm not saying you have to do it in one sitting. I don't know what your devotion time looks like. Um, If you want to spread that out over the whole week, wonderful. If you're the type that reads a lot, then maybe read Psalm 119 every day and pick a different translation each day. Start in your, like me, I, I usually start in the New King James. I'll switch. I like the New Living. I might jump to the Amplified. That'll take longer. Um, I like the New American Standard. There's lots of good translations. And sometimes just a different translation, something jumps out at you. It'll word it just a little differently and you'll see something you hadn't seen before. But that's our homework assignment to read Psalm 119 this week. And I would say a couple things. Number one, put yourself in it. Don't just read it as something that some guy wrote a couple thousand years ago. Personalize it. Take Psalm 119 and put you in it. Make it your heart's cry to the Lord. By the way, the entire psalm is about the Word of God. A little, not foreshadowing, what was I... I don't know what I'm looking for. Spoiler alert! That was it. There's a spoiler alert. The entire chapter is about God's Word. But put yourself in it. Let it be your prayer. Let those be your words. In fact, connect it to step one. Read it out loud. Speak the words with your mouth and speak them to the Father. If you're really feeling adventurous, it is a psalm. Sing it. What tune? I don't know. Be led. Make up a melody. Sing it out loud. It's a psalm. You absolutely could do that if that's your cup of tea. But at a minimum, speak the words. And do your best to mean them because there's some wonderful things in there. Give you a couple samples. We're not going to read the whole thing. Couple samples. Uh, verse 103 through 105 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a whole chapter of stuff like that. We should be speaking those things all the time. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Can I take a liberty? I don't know if this is actually accurate or not. I didn't look it up, but I'm going to change one word. It gives understanding to the children, to those growing up. But that's what the word does. It gives understanding to those who are growing Uh, Verse 131, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Can I say this real quick? An indicator in the natural, when a physical body, an indicator that parents watch, and sometimes just people watch, is appetite. Most of the time, not an issue. We all have appetite. 
Most of us have no problem remembering to eat food. Most of us eat three meals a day or more. We don't have a problem remembering to eat. Some of us could afford to miss a meal or two, and it'd be okay. But if you have a person who just quits eating, if they're missing meals, if they're just not eating hardly at all or they stop eating altogether, what do we treat that as? A warning. That's a red flag. If a person is not eating enough, then they are not properly fueling their body. And a loss of appetite is an indicator something's wrong. We better be digging and asking questions, doing some poking and prodding, and figure out what's going on, whether it's something physically wrong and there's a problem that we need to fix, or if there's something mentally wrong and all of a sudden we're not eating because of some way we're thinking or whatever the issue, but loss of appetite is an indicator something's not healthy. Guess what? It's the same with your spirit. A healthy spirit has an appetite for God's Word. When you have no appetite for God's Word, when you have no appetite to read your Bible, it's an indicator something's not healthy. We should have an appetite. We should be hungry for His Word. And you see that in in that verse. I opened my mouth and panted. For I longed for your commandments. What is that? Healthy appetite. That's a good thing. We should all be in that verse. That is normal, everyday Christian living. Have an appetite for His Word. When you find your appetite waning, that should be cause for attention. All right, something's going on. I should have an appetite. I need to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of me. I may need to fix something. Make sense? Uh, Verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. Jump to verse 140. Your word is pure, therefore your servant loves it. Uh, Verse 140 out of the NIV says, Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Almost sounds like appetite again. So there's your assignment for this week. Uh, We'll all read Psalm 119 at least once. If you're really adventurous, read it a couple times. But know what you're getting into. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. You'll you'll notice I just quoted to verse 140, and we're not to the end. I'm not even sure we're close to the end. If I remember right, that's the chapter that is broken into sections, and each section has a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, assigned to that section. And as I'm thinking there's 25 letters in their alphabet. I'm not positive. It's in there somewhere. So there's that many sections all within chapter 119. Enjoy. <laughs> no, you it, go in with your faith active and connect with it. And then it, it won't be facetious. You will enjoy. It will be good. It'll be wonderful. So how do we grow up spiritually? Step one, speak, speak the word. And step two, feed on the Word. Only then will we begin to grow up. There's more steps, but for today, (laughs) we'll begin to grow up into all things. Grow up into Him. Amen.